Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. It's our last episode of 2018. We'll be off next week for the holidays. This week, we're hearing the case Wreathing Havoc. Paul files suit against his wife, Lizzie. Paul loves to decorate for Christmas, but his wife, Lizzie, doesn't. He wants to add more to their home in order to create some Christmas magic for their kid. Lizzie thinks their tree is enough. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom and presents an obscure cultural reference. I'm not talking about just hundreds of thousands of lights. I'm talking four million lights. We see one property that has four million lights. Most people have never seen anything like it. I know I never saw anything like it until I saw it. It was overwhelming. It took my brain a second just to program what I was looking at. Bailiff Jesse Thorne, please swear them in. Please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that the only Christmas decoration he puts up is a multicolor, patterned, lit statue of Cthulhu? Yes. Yes. Very well. Judge Hodgman? At least it's not an inflatable. <laughs> Paul and Lizzie may be seated. <laughs> what about a Cthulhu that's like one of those used car dealership flapping guys? Oh, my dear elder God, Jesse. <laughs> You're talking about an inflatable Cthulhu that sits on top of your house and has got arms like those car dealership floppy dudes. Exactly. <laughs> but a bunch of arms. Tentacles. Cthulhu, yeah. All right. Jennifer Marmer, shut down the podcast. We're in a new business now. <laughs> Let's get some prototypes going. We'll be ready for Halloween next year. Bring us some sailcloth and an industrial fan. <laughs> but it, in the meantime, oh, sorry, but you finish your thing. Right? I, what? No, I think I'm finished. I think you just got so excited about uh, me saying Thulu. All right. If I didn't say this already, Paul and Lizzie, you may be seated. Thank you. For an immediate summary judgment in one of your favors, can either of you name the piece of culture I referenced when I entered the courtroom? I'm not even sure I remember anymore. So, Paul, let's start with you. I'm going to guess that that's a passage from uh, Stephen King's It, and it's one of the children describing seeing uh, the deadlights. Oh, a moderately deep cut from Stephen King's It. I appreciate that. I'll put that in the guest book. Lizzie, what's your guess? I will guess it's from the film Deck the Halls. Deck the Halls. Is that with Sinbad? That's, bel- that's Jingle All the Way. Jingle All the Way is what I was this thinking This one about. is uh, uh, Matthew Broderick and uh, Danny DeVito, I believe. Oh. Well, in this case, both and all guesses are wrong. I'm sorry to say. I was not quoting a f- uh, piece of fiction culture, a scripted culture of any kind. I was quoting Carter Osterhaus. He is a television personality of home remodeler. And currently, the host of the Great Christmas Light Fight, Mondays on ABC. We get no money for that. Specifically, that was him commenting in an interview on uh, ABC7 New York yesterday about last night's big heavyweights show. I had never seen this show. I'm going to stand with my friends Paul and Janie. They're really into it. Or at least Janie is and Paul tolerates it. Have you heard of this show, you guys? No. Ooh, no. Actually, I've heard of it, but I've never seen Paul, it. Paul, you should be into this because you want to put up a lot of Christmas decorations, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I want to put up a moderate amount of Christmas decorations. Oh, come-, come on. For the sake of <laughs> podcast drama. Uh, so you yeah. want to put up four million lights. I want to put up uh, something obscene. Right. Uh, obscene amounts right, of Christmas Because you want to be on the great Christmas light fight. Yeah, I would love to be on the great Carter Christmas light Oosterhouse fight. Carter Oosterhouse goes from town to town looking at incredibly elaborate Christmas-slash-holiday light and sculpture and Santa's village decorations, and basically just goes, I can't believe what I'm seeing! (laughs) (laughs) And then leaves. (laughs) And uh, then at the end of it, there's a a judgment that is made as to who who is best. And in this case, last night, so I'm going to spoil it for you because it was on last night and this is going to air later on. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this old sawmill that had been turned into a, well, I think it was a, a grist mill. They're still milling flour there as they had done since 1850, but the family that owns it now decked that, like the metric by which these houses would be judged were how many hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of lights are there. Like you're telling me there's 250,000 lights. This was 4 million lights. Wow. Uh, I'm looking at these pictures that yeah. I found on uh, internet image search. 
And the most impressive one to me here is like exactly the scene that you would imagine with a lot of words like joy. And then there's a Snoopy here. And then there's some snowmen. And there's just seas of lights. And then just in front of it is an enormous white Christ figure. Yeah. Like, this is what I have wrought. It's a weird piece of programming. Like, you would not know that there's a war on Christmas happening in this country. <laughs> the one that I'm looking at is Disney-themed. Yeah, that was on last night's, too. And it features Mickey and Minnie Mouse and Donald Duck and Mrs. Donald Duck. I can't remember what her name is. Dippy Daisy Duck. Duck. Daisy, Daisy Duck. Duck. Thank yeah. you. You know, then it features other characters, and I buy all of them as celebrating Christmas. You know, I just think, you know, Mickey Mouse, he's hanging out at Disneyland doing the Christmas thing. And... Then there's a bunch of the 101 Dalmatians, which I don't think they have faith. Um, (laughs) But, you know, even a dog could get a Christmas gift. And then there's just an enormous uh, Aladdin segment that, (laughs) like, I'm pretty sure they're not doing Christmas this year. Right. (laughs) At Aladdin's Palace. (laughs) Which character is the baby Jesus? It's really hard to say. Iago the parrot. (laughs) (laughs) So... Coming back to you, Paul and Lizzie, uh, you guys live in the Boston area, I understand. Mm-hmm. I know that because when we were when we we're logging on, I understand you're at the PRX garage there in Alston, Massachusetts, just down the road from Coolidge Corner. My old uh, stomping, uh, not, not grounds so much as well-manicured streets. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Where do you guys live in that area? We live about 15 miles southwest of Boston in Norwood, Massachusetts. Norwood, Massachusetts. So you had to come into the big city, huh? What are you going to do after this? Are you going to going to go see a movie at the Coolidge Corner Theater? Sadly, no. Uh, our our two year old is at a Starbucks down the road with my cousin, so we'll be we'll be running back <laughs> to was, take her to bed. <laughs> I'm glad your cousin is there. Me I know. Too. <laughs> I know the Starbucks. All right. Well, while we have you in Alston, let's talk about what's going on. You have a home in Norwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are married. You have a two year old. Did you say? Yes. And there's a cousin in the picture somewhere. I know that. That's what I know so far. What else do I need to know, Lizzie? So, yes, Paul and I are married. Uh, we've been married for about three and a half years. This will be our third Christmas with our baby, even though, or our daughter, even though she's two. Um, she's still your baby. Yeah, yeah, she is. She always will be. Um, so I am Jewish. I grew up not celebrating Christmas. Mm-hmm. And when Paul and I first got together, we definitely celebrated Christmas together with his family. But we never really had representation of Christmas decorations around the house. Um, so, again, we've been living together. This will be our seventh Christmas living together, uh, but only our third Christmas tree. So things mm-hmm. really did start to change um, the year our daughter was born. She was born a week before Christmas. So, oh. yeah, so that was the first year we, we weren't really traveling to see Paul's family. So that was the first year we got a, a real tree in the house, which I was okay with um, and have grown to love actually having the the tree. But now that she's older and I think we're both kind of thinking about traditions we want to um, give her and celebrate as a family, Paul started really pushing or, or it, it expressed interest in doing more Christmas decorations, like the stockings and the wreaths and the lights on the outside and stuff, um, which I uh, would prefer we don't um, for several reasons, which, of course, we can get into. Um, but that's mm-hmm. kind of why we uh, we brought the case to you, Judge. All right. So, Paul, what's your portfolio of Christmas cheer now in the house? We have got, uh, I would argue, not a lot. Um, we, we do have the tree. I'm not looking and... for your opinion, sir. I'm looking for the facts. <laughs> We've got the tree, which has lights. Um, a collection of sterling silver snowflakes hangs on the tree. Those were, um, I believe, my grandmother's. Um, some store-bought candy canes. And a couple other like random things hanging on the tree I think that my mom gave us. Mm-hmm. How can you even claim to be a real fan of Christmas if you're not making your own candy canes? <laughs> <laughs> I would like to get into candy cane making. Oh, uh, now, okay. I see where we're going. Okay, continue. Uh, we've got like a Frosty the Snowman book, which um, like sings a Frosty the Snowman song. Yeah, it... you sent in several pictures of books 
And all the evidence, the photos that you sent in, obviously, are going to be at the Judge John Hodgman page at MaximumFun.org and also on our Instagram at Instagram.com slash Judge John Hodgman. And I see these pictures of books. I'm just going to take those off the table. This might actually help your case, Paul, that these are not Christmas decorations. They are simply Christmas-themed books on a bare carpet. That is not a decoration. (laughs) We also have the candles. Oh, yes. And uh, we've got candles in the uh, the windows, but only some of the windows. So I think there's 12 candles currently. Right. And there's probably like 26 windows that... There's uh, 38 the... windows, Judge. Oh, okay. There's 38 windows. So we're about <laughs> 20-some candles shy. Uh, I see this the photo of, of your 12 candles, and I see a photo of a single white stocking. Yep. That's our daughter's stocking that... Um, my parents gave us. It's very adorable. A white knitted stocking and a single hat with elf ears on it. Yeah, I think my parents gave that to us also. I see an ornament of a menorah. That was just gifted to us. Um, this Hanukkah from my aunt, uh, which is unusual. But... As of this recording, it is Hanukkah. So happy Hanukkah to you. Thank you. Uh, and a box full of assorted uh, uh, Christmassy junk that has not been deployed yet. And a before and after photo of your tree, both before it is decorated and after it is decorated. And I will say, first of all, nice tree. I see you have hung the elf hat sort of on the corner of the window. Is that a tradition? In, in I, I've never seen that before. No, that's just, um, we don't have uh, curtain rods yet. So there's kind of a <laughs> like a little like uh, tooth there that you would hang a curtain rod from that was... I don't know. I had to put the the hat somewhere. Right. You need you need to get that hat off the floor somehow. And uh, I I like this tree. I think it's a first of all it's a real tree, correct? It is a real tree. Yep. It's got very great limb distribution. Mm. Mm. It is um, full without being overly dense. I'm gonna say I like the tree. I'm I can't see the whole room, but I I don't love the placement. I don't know why you haven't put it right there in the crook of those two windows. If you'd like to see what I'm talking about, go over to our Instagram page and you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. But I'm going to now turn to you, Lizzie, and say this decorated tree is pretty sparse. You don't have a lot of decorations there. You know, I would agree. Again, this is a new thing right. in terms of our ornament collection. Right. Oh, I thought you just meant Christmas. I was going to say, I think <laughs> it's been like 2,000 years. <laughs> Probably. No, it's new for us um, right. in terms of having... A family set of decorations. Um, so I agree. The the tree is sparse and has a lot of potential. I think that if we really focused our Christmas decoration efforts just onto the tree, we can make it something really special and meaningful and beautiful. And I think ornaments have the opportunity to, you know, mark certain occasions and, and periods of time. Paul did mention we've we've got some from his mother, and, and many of those were really for our daughter, but like, you know, baby's first Christmas and little shoes right. and stuff. So yeah, I think if we got carried away with, okay, we're going to put these garlands up and like get some other lights for outside and wreaths and it would just kind of spread everything too thin, it might, of course, be overwhelming to us, but also I think really just it could be more powerful way to decorate to just focus on the tree, at least until that does get more filled out over the years. Now, there are Hanukkah decorations out. There are a few. Tell me what you got. So we have a menorah that belonged to uh, my great-grandmother, Yeah. Uh, a single menorah. So you do not have an opportunity for four million lights? That is true. You don't have one of those four million candle menorahs? The so-called festival of lights. Yeah, that's some miracle of the oil. We could probably get four million lights on the outside of the house. We're going to get back to you in a second, Paul. That's not oh, Hanukkah. Yes, we have one Hanukkah menorah right. that, again, is, is a family uh, heirloom. What is the background of the menorah? It belonged to my great-grandma, Sarah, who she immigrated to New York um, and she was about 13 uh, mm. from Russia, or what is now um, Belarus. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she acquired this as an adult in New York, but... Um, it's now mine. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, so that lives in a hutch with other uh, fragile decorative items during the year. And during uh, the Hanukkah season, we take it out right. and light it most nights of Hanukkah. And we also have a large decorative dreidel that was given to Paul and I for our engagement from an old family friend of mine. Oh, cool. And that's the blue thing in this photo. Yeah. Okay. It's 
kind of weird. It doesn't function as a dreidel, but it's beautiful painted decorative piece that, again, we kind of store with all the Christmas stuff in this drawer so it comes out uh, just Hanukkah time. And last year we had this party for our daughter right around, um, it was during Hanukkah, it was uh, around her birthday and Mm -hmm. Christmas too. And so my mom uh, brought up a large, just kind of a a lunch bag of uh, (laughs) wooden dreidels. Uh, I think she presumed that some of the kids at the president at the party would take it away, but um, yeah, you got a bunch of dreidels in a candy dish here. In a candy yeah. dish. Again, they're just out because we have them. Our daughter enjoys spinning them. and Oh, yeah. She likes playing them. It's a delight. And that's it. Oh, and, and two Hanukkah dish towels, which I didn't include in the evidence because I forgot we had them. But um, I'm sure Paul will bring that up. Uh, <laughs> I put out a Hanukkah dish towel on the first night of Hanukkah. What's on the Hanukkah dish towel? I just out of curiosity. That is a, a embroidered menorah. Okay. And um, the words, Happy Hanukkah. Not an heirloom of some kind. Not at all. It was, no. uh, again, a gift last Hanukkah from another aunt. Uh, How do you feel about those dish towels? You know, I am pretty ambivalent. They yeah, lived at the bottom I'm, of the dish towel drawer, I don't, I don't, and I, I found yeah, them, and yeah, there's like a towel. Your Hanukkah display right now is taste. Okay. And I don't think those dish towels are... are, are yeah, you're yeah, right. They don't kind of mix kinda with junky. the vibe. Sounds a little, sorry, aunt. Oh, the, I, she definitely... It won't care or okay. listen. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll say that your Hanukkah display is pretty sparse as well, but yes. I grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts, and there's a large Jewish community there, and a lot of my friends were in our Jewish. I've seen my share of Hanukkahs, and I would say that in comparison to Christmas, it is not a highly decorated holiday, typically. Yes. Uh, it is more restrained in its finery, uh, yes. whereas Christmas can go hard. That's true, and I'm, I'm certainly not advocating for more Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. I simply want status quo slash invest in the tree Christmas. And in, invest in the tree means building slowly a collection of tasteful ornaments? Yes. I see. And and definitely we can have more lights. I know this is actually the biggest tree we have had um, by a little bit, but the lights, as Paul pointed out, don't really... Uh, it could be a little more filled in because now we have a larger tree. It's a little sparse. Let's take a quick recess and hear about another show on Maximum Fun. Judge Hodgman will talk to Paul about his relationship with Christmas when we come back in just a minute. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Court's back in session. You're listening to Wreathing Havoc. We've heard from Lizzie about her holiday decorating vision. Now let's get back in the courtroom so Paul can talk about why he loves to decorate for Christmas. Paul, why is it important to you to add more? Where did you grow up? You're not from Massachusetts. What's your relationship with where you grew up and what Christmas was like there? I grew up in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. So it's very kind of Midwestern upbringing. Yeah. Um, my, I wouldn't say that my mom was or that my parents were like insane with Christmas decorations. Although I think if 
Lizzie saw it, she probably would say that they were insane with Christmas decorations. They didn't really do um, any lights on the outside of the house except for the candles in the window. Mm Mm-hmm. Until maybe I was about like seven or eight years old, I think. I know that one year, like, I just banged my mom enough that eventually she, like, broke down and put some lights on the outside of the house because, like, I had advocated for it so strongly. Yeah. On the inside of the house, my mom had, like, a snowman collection. I remember she probably still does have the snowman collection, even though she lives in Florida. They would have a lot of Christmas decorations, Christmas cookies. I mean, like, Chris- like starting from, like, the day after Thanksgiving through New Year's Day. I remember like lots of uh, Santa Clauses and reindeer and just all all the shows and the the whole thing. I'm not making a judgment here yet. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a judgment here soon. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, I always get weirded out when there are too many Santa Clauses around. You know what I mean? Because there's <laughs> yeah, one. I do know what you mean. There's one dude. <laughs> Why are you going to have 15 different statues and illustrations? Often in wildly distinct styles. Santa takes many forms. I don't. I don't. I mean, that Santa is an interdimensional shapeshifter <laughs> who can get into houses that don't even have chimneys. That's probably the most plausible explanation of that myth if we were going to translate it into reality. But I don't want to see that happening. It just depends on what timeline you're talking about, like Spider Man. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Into the Santaverse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of Christmas sprinkled around your home growing up. Yeah, definitely. But I'm interested in this thing of you demanding or asking for lights on the outside of the house when you were, did you say you were seven years old? Mm-hmm. Why did you want that so badly? You know, we would drive past those houses sure. with, not that would have the four million lights or whatever it was. Um, did you ever have a situation which I've heard about in a number of communities, and it was true in Northeast Philadelphia where my mom grew up, where like there will be one block that is known for the decorations and like all the houses go really wacky. What I liked about it was there's one neighborhood in Des Moines, and they still did this last time I was there. And I wouldn't say it was really wacky. It was very tasteful. And they would do the thing where every house in the neighborhood would do the thing where you take like the white paper bag Mm-hmm. Or the one gallon milk jug and just put like a tea candle inside. Yeah. And kind of line that down the street. Candelaria. Is that what that's, that's what called? Candelaria? Candelaria. I've never seen it done with a gallon jug, though. I think that's gross. Paper bag, <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, in Iowa, they would do it with uh, gallon jugs. You would go through those neighborhoods in Iowa and see those decorated homes that are all decked out with lights all over the place and Calendaria, and you're like, someday I want to live in a house like that exactly. and make my Jewish wife live there. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much pretty all right much. well i knew that i knew that i wanted to uh have a home that um looked festive and merry and bright did you think that it looked cool did you feel light shame yeah a little bit yeah i'd be like oh man we just got these candles in the windows and like we got these trees in the yard and there's no lights on any of the trees and like there should be because everyone else has them and like yeah definitely mm-hmm. a little bit of light shame all right does this make you feel any differently about his schemes and plans that he's come to me to approve of, Lizzie? Do you want your husband to feel light shame? No, but I also don't think there is that pressure around our neighborhood currently. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this, again, is because of our daughter and he wants to kind of recreate that sense of wonderment for her. But, you know, I think... In those first years that I knew him, like, he never decorated for Christmas. I don't think this is, like, an internal urge that he needs to do because if it was, then he would have advocated for a tree for those other years before we had our daughter. He was waiting to see how long you would stick around him. (laughs) Oh, well, I will definitely say that this is not, like, a deal-breaker situation. I think we both are in agreement that we're going to raise our daughter with both of our traditions and... I think we both agree that the compromise is this somewhere in the middle. Um, but I think where we disagree is, is where that line in the middle is. And, well, don't and... surrender so quickly. Okay. Because, I mean, <laughs> it's it's for me to judge. That and is true. I will order you guys to be divorced if I have to. Oh. <laughs> so Yikes. I learned something from the great Christmas light fight. You got to keep the stakes high. Yep. <laughs> keep them yep. high, artificially high. And also a lot of yelling. Yeah. Here comes Santa! Oh, my goodness. What am I seeing right now? That's what Paul wants people to say when they walk by your house. Yeah. 
Paul, a lot of this case will be decided on taste. Okay. So tell me what you want to add, your dream holiday scheme. Okay, here's is what I want. Right. My plans would be to uh, put some, we've, we've got like a side porch, which I think I sent you a picture of. Um, and I would like to put uh, some garlands up on those. Uh, white lights. I don't. I only want to do white lights on the outside of the house to complement the white lights and the candles. I want to complete the windows with a candle in every window, or at least a candle in every window that like people would see from the street. And we've also got like a front porch, but I'd like to put lights kind of around that as well. Um, we've got a couple of new trees in the yard, which I would like to put some white lights on at some point. And this is all kind of like a five-year plan. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't all go out and do this all at once. Uh, but as those trees you're grow... Gonna, you're going to spend your daughter's college fund on this? <laughs> I, if I have to. Uh-huh. Um, I put some lights on those trees in the yard. You know, Lizzie has talked about putting some evergreen trees in our front yard, which I feel like if you've got an evergreen tree in the wintertime, you've got to put lights on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would like to be able to have the freedom that as our outdoor area um, is improved that I can make uh, Christmas lights additions to it as necessary to complement the new additions. It's like we're going to probably put in like a fence next summer. And once that fence goes up, I would like to put on some lights and even potentially uh, some wreaths. Um, I know Lizzie is very anti-wreath for some reason. I don't get it. When the poor children come by wanting to sell wreaths to me, um, I'm, well, not the poor children. I work at a school. So like when the kids are selling wreaths, I would like to be able to buy a wreath from them. You meant poor children like pathetic children, yeah, not <laughs> impoverished children. Yes, pathetic children, exactly. Um, I would like to do a Santa ritual with our daughter. My Santa ritual, I mean, um, I would like to uh, pretend that Santa Claus is coming on Christmas Eve, put out the cookies, the carrot, the glass of milk, uh, and then mm-hmm. like put some, like fill up the stocking with some stocking stuffers so when she comes down on Christmas morning, she can... Uh, feel like Santa Claus was there the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, different people do different Santa rituals, John. So some people will do stockings. Some people will do a plate of cookies. Uh, some people will do elf on the shelf. I would like to do uh, an elf on the shelf will at some point. spill Santa's blood so that the coming harvest in the next year will be a good one. Of course. There's a variety of different Santa rituals. Oh, yeah. I mean, this goes back to Saturnalia. Yeah, yeah, yep. and um, Sol Invictus. Yeah, yeah. I, I myself, in our family, we take Santa's firstborn. Let us never forget <laughs> that this began as a pagan holiday. It is not yes. a Christian holiday. It's a, it is a pagan holiday to bring light to the longest night of the year by accidentally setting a tree on fire. Yeah, yeah. Right, and and that's kind of the soul of my argument is that all of the um, elements from Christmas that I want to use are like not christian elements you know all the secular parts of the holiday are the parts that i'm really interested in Mm -hmm. so uh, i don't really see that it it being incompatible with any of lizzie's uh jewish traditions or jewish upbringing and and the final thing i would like uh lizzie to do is you know some of the houses in our neighborhood are decorated in a way that i will admit is not great and i think that she shouldn't when our daughter is around make comments like like ugh like oh that's awful what does not great mean tell me about how your neighbors have terrible taste there's a few houses where they really kind of like mix the aesthetic so they'll have like a cartoon rudolph next to like a very realistic looking santa right and to me that doesn't quite you know again they're from the different universes and the worst are when spider-man is there with batman <laughs> And they both have Santa hats on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm not trying to do anything like that. Um, but if we saw something like that and it delighted our child, I'd want her to be able to be delighted by it and not have uh, her, her mom saying like, oh, that's bad and that's that's no good. So how do you feel about inflatables? I would not want an inflatable uh, for myself. I don't mind them. For whom would you want one? For Santa, of course. <laughs> Maybe someone around the block so I could drive by it like once a week. For those who don't know what an inflatable is, it's literally an inflated, large, maybe five, six, seven, or eight foot tall soft sculpture of a snowman or a Santa or a, a sleigh or whatever. And it often has a lighting element in it. And mm-hmm. The genie from Aladdin. The genie, for example. And on the great Christmas light fight message boards, uh, inflatables are kind of considered cheating. They're kind of yard filler. 
and I think they're pretty cheap looking myself. Sorry if you love them out there in the world, but that the fact that you said that you wouldn't want an inflatable for your yard makes me turn to Lizzie and say, you know, I know this isn't your thing, but at least we're starting from a ground level where I judge John Hodgman say that Paul's taste is pretty good in this regard. I would agree with that. Okay. Now, Paul, you did also want to add a cagatillo? No, that that was something I added. Oh. Uh, I came across that in, in some of the research I was doing, and I was very intrigued. And I offered that up to you as potentially a suggestion that if you do happen to rule in Paul's favor, that maybe uh, we could have this as well. So for those who do not know what a cagatillo is, and until an hour ago, I did not know, and my eyes had never beheld this uh, Cthulhu-like <laughs> horror, <laughs> there is a tradition in Spain of decorating the nativity with a cogoner, which is um, a, a statue of a man pooping that has a lot of different, and I'd seen these before. It's uh, It reminds you when you're in Spain, like, oh, this is another country where <laughs> traditional taboos about a statue of a man literally squatting and pooping uh, are different than they are in, say, Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, but it is a good luck charm or a good luck figure, kind of mischievous figure fertilizing the earth with his poop. And then there's another iteration of it, and you said a photo of this from Catalonia called a cagatillo. And that is a big log with a face on it that kind of looks like it's squatting down, getting ready to poop. And it's smiling. And you, yeah. according to you, well, yes. yeah, I was going to blame this Paul for this, Lizzie, but you, but you put this in my brain forever. <laughs> you fill the smiling log with sweets, fruits, and nuts, and on Christmas Eve... The whole family gathers, and I'm quoting here, to sing traditional songs during which the log is hit with a stick, and when beaten hard enough, the log will, quote, defecate and spill its contents. It's like a wooden Spanish poop pinata. Yeah. Do you want one of these, Paul? Did you just type into the internet weird goy stuff? (laughs) (laughs) That would have been good. No, I think I was just Christmas decoration and things like that um, to just... I don't know, just kind of get a wider perspective on it. I'm delighted by it. Yes. (laughs) Oh, you want one? Oh, yeah. I think it's great. I'm all about uh, bringing in as many little treasures from different uh, cultures. So I love that there's a uh, a bowl of dreidels there. I love we've got a menorah decoration on the the tree. Um, And, you know, if there's going to be a a strange smiling log. I understand. But you understand where Lizzie is coming from, you know, because... She's seen, we've all seen, how a Christmas decoration collection can grow and grow and grow and become increasingly this gaudy horde. Mm. Right, yeah. Lizzie, are you concerned that if we start on something, that the line will just get moved and moved and moved? Yeah, that's part of it. I think just having objects in our home that are just used for about a month each year, and then we have to you know, put them away and take them out and like put them up all over the place. And yes, of course it will grow. I kind of like the idea of just the ornaments because they are smaller and easier to store and we can just like put them in a drawer. But yeah, imagining like many, many garlands and lights and also things that like the tree have to be disposed of, like wreaths or garlands that are alive uh, or, you know, used to be alive. Yeah. What's your anti-wreath bias? Yeah, I think, again, all of this, I agree that Paul has good taste and that like when I see houses with wreaths and white lights, I think it does look beautiful, but it doesn't look like my house. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of it, too. Like not just, yes, not just am I overwhelmed by the thought of all this Christmas stuff in my home, but you know, Christmas is such a dominant holiday and piece of our culture that for someone who it didn't belong to you mm-hmm. growing up or but didn't belong to me growing up, I should say. I always identified as it was something that wasn't that I wasn't a part of. And I right. don't have any like negative connotations like it's not like it's not warlike or, you know, I have anger towards this, except for the really tacky inflatables. I will. I do have some anger towards that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it's more just like, I don't know, that that doesn't feel like home. And. I realize, yes, I, I joined and made my home with someone who does celebrate Christmas. But again, I think there's ways we can incorporate it without just the stuff and the decorative. So, 
you know, you joked about Paul making his own candy canes. You know, I wouldn't put that past him. Um, just this weekend, he made uh, gingerbread cookies with our daughter. Um, I would really love to focus on the experiential stuff and make traditions that certainly can have a Christmas focus, but things like that. Um, his mother has these awesome Christmas cookie recipes that I'd love for us to to learn from her. I could see us like going to the Nutcracker or something like that, especially as our daughter gets older, or a town tree lighting, things like that. I'm open to embracing the Christmas spirit. I just don't love it to be all over my house. I think when I come home, I want to... I want that to feel less Christmassy and because um, I see it everywhere. It's right. all over the place. And for our daughter, too, you know, I want her to identify with both cultures. And as even a half Jewish person uh, that she is, um, you know, it can be overwhelming. Like her daycare, for example, has a huge Christmas tree and Christmas right. lights and right. like 14 wreaths. And I am fine with that because that's her this woman's house. But, um, you know, she already sees that all day. It's not like there's... Um, I don't think she's, you know, missing out on anything just by our home having a big, beautiful Christmas tree and that being it. Paul, you've heard that. And I don't know whether mm-hmm. you've really given this a lot of consideration, both because there isn't a huge baked in tradition of Hanukkah decoration mm-hmm. at that level. Right. That the celebration of Hanukkah is much, much less traditionally performative mm-hmm. other than through ritual and food and communion and experience. Mm -hmm. It's not decorative as Christmas has come to be in these United States. Don't you have some concerns about the fact that you might be pushing some of the Jewishness to the margins at this time of year of your family? Because it's half of your family's culture and tradition. I hear that. um, But I choose not to listen. (laughs) <laughs> I, I hear that, but it sounds like the teacher from Peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, and I realize I'm coming at this from like a place of uh, privilege. But, um, you know, to me, growing up with the Christmas experience, I always thought that the entire idea of uh, Christmas and the Christmas spirit was to, um, you know, welcome the stranger and to give goodness to everyone and to bring everyone in and to open your door to everybody. So to welcome um, the stranger and shove a bunch of Christmas in their faces. (laughs) My understanding was that the true meaning of Christmas was to engage in a fight in the news media over the decoration of coffee cups. That's a more recent tradition. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little younger than you are. So that was part of it. And then my other thing that I that I really think and why I think that um, coming, I realize that maybe Lizzie looks at it and says, you know, that doesn't look like my house when she's coming home. And there's like a very on, powerful bit of testimony that she gave. And I hear that. But what I would say lights at this time of year, as you pointed out, and Hanukkah is the festival of lights is, uh, you know, something that goes back to paganism and something that probably is even you know, deeper part of being human Mm -hmm. where like at this time of year when it's like cold and dark and we don't see a lot of sunlight that having our world lit up, even if only artificially, you know, helps make us feel um, more complete inside. And that so that when I come home and it's 430 in the afternoon and it's already dark and that's like totally awful at least I'm coming home at 4.30 and it's dark and my house is lit up and it looks festive and merry and bright and it makes me feel warm inside. And th- that is the thing that I like about it. And I think that that is something that um, isn't exclusive to Christmas. Paul, I have um, a note here from our producer before mm-hmm. I go into my sadness shed to celebrate Sadvent <laughs> a la Jason Sims and come up with my verdict. If he doesn't bring up his fourth grade story, please prompt him to. Oh, okay. When I was in fourth grade, I loved Christmas so much. And my mom was like a um, like a room mother. And I had like somehow convinced my fourth grade teacher that like the thing I needed to do was to leave like the school Christmas assembly early and like run back to our classroom. So I did this and like I ran back to the classroom and I dressed up like Santa Claus and then when all the kids came back from the Christmas assembly down in the in the gym or whatever, I passed out Christmas treats to all the kids as they came in. 
because I'm that enthusiastic about Christmas. Lizzie, what do you think about uh, that fourth grade story? It's so heartwarming. I love picturing Paul as a little guy. Uh, Yeah, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. And had I been in that class, I would have gratefully accepted the treats. Does it change your mind about the wreath? Yeah. I mean, I didn't buy the like wanting to help the poor kids because like he always he he also sell like cookies and other random stuff throughout the year. Um, they're, not, also, they're not poor kids. They're... Yeah, and he also supports <laughs> his classroom with our personal funds. So, you know, they, he doesn't have to buy the wreaths. I, I mean, again, I, I would be fine with a tasteful wreath if uh, if you should order it so. But, um, nah, okay, I don't think we need a wreath. Yeah. I think I've heard everything I need to in order to make my decision. I'm going to go contemplate by the sadness tree. I'll be back in a moment with my verdict. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Lizzie, would you like to share any more noises of moderate displeasure? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was worried about that. Sorry. (laughs) Maybe like a... (laughs) Oh, oh, like if I saw a a decoration I didn't like? Yeah. Like, ugh. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Oh, gosh. In voiceover, this is called efforts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but this is you recording voiceover for a video game, the premise of which you don't like holiday decorations. <laughs> Sounds like a fun game. <laughs> uh, Lizzie, how do you feel about your chances? I'm not sure. I think um, I got my point across, but um, I-, I honestly don't know how he's, how the judge is going to decide our case. How do you feel, Paul? I'm concerned that I didn't lay out like a specific enough list of demands. Um that, really? Um, Are you and sure? Like, and like every Christmas, I'm going to somehow come out of it without everything that I want. <laughs> Can I tell you guys, I just decorated my home for Christmas, which in my house as a relative non-decorator means I went to a big box retail store, purchased one string of icicle style lights mm-hmm. and uh, hung it over the entranceway to my home. And I was thinking, uh, well, I did that, you know. What are you going to do? And then my seven-year-old and my five-year-old noticed that I had done it, ran to the front window in the kitchen, and my daughter said, Oscar, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Oh. Oh. Wow. Anyway, we'll see what Judge John Hodgman has to say about all this when we come back in just a second. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org. And they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, Imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give 
your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom to present his verdict. You may be seated. Cthulhu bless us, everyone. So I've heard a lot of testimony, and contrary to Paul's belief, a lot of very specific requests. A real Christmas list, if you will, of very specific presents that he wants. And I will say, however, that my worst fear was that I was going to have to be talking to a person who's taste in decorations do not align with mine. As listeners may know, I'm not a colored lights person. I wasn't raised with colored lights and I don't like them. Your mileage may vary. I appreciate that. I do not care for inflatables or the crossing of IP streams, as it were. I shouldn't have said IP streams. I meant intellectual (laughs) property streams, but sometimes Christmas gives us other little gifts. Such as commercial creations like Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and nativity scenes, for example. I mean, pick a lane. Uh, And I find a lot of that stuff to be tacky. I think that while four million lights, actually the gristmill with four million lights and the great Christmas light fight was pretty amazing, but also a terrifying display of obsession and power hoarding, electricity hoarding. Uh, And, you know, I'm sensitive to these things because lots of times Christmas decorating in particular is coded to class. So when I would drive up and down that one block of Mayfair in northeast Philadelphia where my mom's family grew up and lived and saw those super duper highly decorated houses with Christmas lights all over the place and, you know, uh, phony Santas on the roof and so forth. You know, that's a working class Irish and uh, German neighborhood, at least it was at the time. Whereas in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is a much more upper middle class to affluent class, the decorations would be what might be snobbily called more tasteful or restrained. And though my family was working class, that's where I grew up and where my taste was imprinted. You know, if you had come to me, Paul, saying you really needed to have a 45-foot wooden soldier out there, I would have had a different problem as a judge. But instead, this is not a question of taste, because I think you and I share more or less the same taste. In terms of lighting, in terms of your aesthetic, I kind of feel and get it. And I share with you the pleasure in seeing uh, tastefully uh, deployed lights in a time of uh, extra special darkness this holiday season of all holiday seasons, Um, both literal darkness uh, because it gets dark so early, as you point out, and uh, existential darkness of the times we live in. That's how I feel anyway. But I was quite moved by Lizzie saying that what you described does not look like her home. And while I appreciate that your decorations are essentially secular, you made an argument that they were partially pagan, pre-Christian Christmas, and also just sort of contemporary mythological Santa Claus coming down and eating that cookie. If you and your wife were both either 
non-religious or both raised in a Christian tradition, I think this would be a less of a thorny dispute to settle. But whether you wish to acknowledge it or not, there is a overwhelming, the Jewish part of your visual heritage within your house with what are undeniably Christian, though secular, you know, traditionally Christmas, which means Christian, whether you like it or not, uh, decorative displays is problematic. And whether Lizzie feels it particularly keenly, if you are going to raise your daughter truthfully in both traditions and meaningfully in both traditions, I'm not sure that you want to have a passive display of Christian dominance over the Hanukkah season. Even though it's beautiful, it codes as Christian. So I advise, first of all, contemplation on that point and discussion, further discussion, as you guys move forward in the celebration of this holiday. I love Lizzie's idea of focusing on the experiential more than the decorative, making Christmas cookies, etc. But also, I would trust, and I, I'm sure Lizzie did not mean to exclude, the various traditions and rituals and contemplations of the Hanukkah season and sharing equal time and equal importance in your house. I never put up lights. I never put up those high school lights that Jesse Thorne put up in his house. I never put up anything outside of my house because most of my adult life I never had a house, had an apartment, still do. My restraint in decoration was tree-focused, very specifically tree-focused because I like a Christmas tree. I like having it there. I think it provides a lot of delight and joy to me and the children that live with me. Um, but it also, the reason I never got into decoration wasn't so much philosophical, but even just decorating a tree. Decorating requires a lot of bending over and picking things up and putting them on top of something else, which is my least favorite activity. <laughs> so I'll do as little as possible. I appreciate that you want to do more, but there has to be a guideline, Paul, that you don't do too much. As you say, you have some specific wants, and as you say, Every year at Christmas, you didn't get everything you wanted. And now that you're a grown-up, you want to have everything you want. But that's not what Christmas is all about. Sometimes you don't get that big track programmable space tank that you wanted so badly and asked for. I never did. Tim McGonagall did. Why was that allowed? <laughs> Why did Cthulhu allow that injustice to occur? That has been a point of contemplation for me for the rest of my life, and I'm glad to have that point of contemplation. And so, no, Santa Hodgman will not give you everything on your list, though you have been very nice and not naughty at all. I am ordering restraint for this year. I'm going to be very specific. You must get more decorations for your tree. That doesn't look good the way it is. Get, like... 10 to 20% more. You guys both can pick these out. They don't have to be Christmassy because there's any all kinds of decorations, nor do they have to be Hanukkah-y. But like, Lizzie, you get out there and get some decorations that you like. I agree that the focus should be on the tree. That's your starting place. That is the center point from which Christmas explodes. You need more lights on that tree as well. That has to happen this year. You need to get some window dressings for your windows because <laughs> that elf hat looks weird hanging there. It looks really intentional and part of some tradition that I do not understand. Like the hanging elf hat as some, something you do. I don't know that or else come up with a tradition for that. Hmm. So that's the primary thing I'm going to say right now, like dioramas within the house. We're going to put a long hold on that. I'm also going to say something that's going to be controversial to you guys or to Paul, I think, specifically, but to listeners of the Judge Sean Hodgman podcast, you know my stance on this. And if you have kids in the car or near you who harbor certain ideas about Santa Claus, you may want to pause this podcast now. I feel very, very strongly based on personal experience that 
teaching children that Santa Claus is an actual being that comes into their home is a lie that suits no one and often is very painful when it is revealed. I believe that people, if they wish to talk about Santa Claus, should tell their young children that Santa Claus is as real as their favorite characters in books. That does not mean that you cannot have your cookie and have a little bit eaten or tell the story about how Santa Claus comes and leaves presents, but Santa is a character, not a real person. And you will find that kids' brains can include both of those realities in ways that when they, it becomes clear to them that it's just a story, they're not traumatized. The outside of your house, everyone can take a look at it online at our Instagram page, Judge John Hodgman. It's pretty grim. No offense to you. It looks like a dark, scary, haunted house. And I think that it is okay to light up that house with a minimal amount of purely secular lighting. And I am talking about you need to supplement those candles, those electric candles, and put one in, in all the, at least the, the street-facing windows. That will look beautiful. And Lizzie, if you put those evergreen bushes or, you know, those uh, fir trees in your yard, you're damn right Paul's going to put some lights on there. <laughs> That's fair. I am going to say no wreath. I don't know why oh. Lizzie hates that wreath, but a line must be drawn. And there you're going to stop. Essentially, I'm finding in Lizzie's favor, focus on the tree. Grow your traditions from there. Do not try to vomit Christmas all over your house to make up for something you feel you didn't have enough of when you were seven. You're moving forward, and your forward motion must include as much Hanukkah as Christmas. And you have to work really hard since Hanukkah doesn't have as many visual signifiers to make sure your daughter understands that and experiences it. This is the sound of a gavel. Go get under the mistletoe and kiss you guys. Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Lizzie, how do you feel? I feel great. I think this really is a great compromise. And um, I'm really kind of excited that Judge ruled on the on the Santa thing, threw that in there. I wasn't even going to bring that up, but I, I really <laughs> like that. Because, um, yeah, that does kind of creep me out. That we're, We would teach her that someone would just kind of come in the house and break in and stuff. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for that one. Paul, how do you feel? I feel pretty good about it. Um, I think that getting the lights, uh, some a few lights on the outside of the house uh, and finishing off the candles in the windows is, is just what I wanted. So um, I feel good about it. Well, both of you, thank you for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas and um, Cthulhu take us all. <laughs> you too, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Another Judge John Hodgman case is in the books. In a minute, we'll do swift justice. First, thanks to Travis Martella for naming this week's episode Wreathing Havoc. If you'd like to name a future episode, like Judge John Hodgman on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Hodgman and at Jesse Thorne. Hashtag your Judge John Hodgman tweets. Hashtag JJHO. I always enjoy John. Seeing those Judge John Hodgman tweets. Seeing those hashtags fly by. Yeah, usually yeah. they're just pedantic corrections of you, so I guess maybe you might enjoy them a little less. But I, I like I like them too. I'm glad to know that people are listening and that they care. So thank you. You can also check out the Max Fun subreddit. That's at maximumfun.reddit.com to chat about this week's episode. We're on Instagram with tons of evidence at Judge John Hodgman. Follow us there. This week's episode recorded by Alex Birch at the PRX Podcast Garage in Alston, Massachusetts. Our thanks to our pals over there. At PRX, and a special shout-out to their podcast network, Radiotopia, home of a number of buddies of ours. Keep up the good work. Our producer is Jennifer Marmer. Now, Swift Justice, answering your small disputes with quick judgment. Are you ready, Judge Judge Judgment? Judge Judge. You know, it's a very hard podcast name to say. Yeah. I have to admit it. Yeah. The Hudge Non-Judgment podcast is hard to say, but I'm ready. John says, here I come. No, this is John from Garfield. Oh, J-O-N. Excuse me. Some members of my family refer to yellow cake with chocolate icing as chocolate cake. I seek an injunction prohibiting this gross misuse of the phrase. Bailiff Jesse, this has been something of a long episode, something of a heavy episode. Uh Uh-huh. 
So I'm not going to go into great depth or detail here because we're, you know, it's the holiday time, the end of the year. We've all worked hard and it's time to relax and, and, and take it easy if we can. Plus, in five minutes, I have an appointment to go a-wassling. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so let me get you wassling right out the door and say, Hades, no. Chocolate cake, the cake has to be chocolate. Chocolate frosted cake is chocolate frosted cake. John, I hope that you are able to lord this over your family this whole holiday season. Specifically Garfield and Odie. That's right. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode. Submit your cases at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO or email Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. No case too small. Remember, we'll be off next week. We'll see you in 2019 on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.